Let's jump into our, our passage today. We're in 1 Corinthians. We're going to finish chapter 15, Lord willing. Let me pray again. Lord, we do just thank you for the fact that you're going to come and rescue and redeem. And we look for that. And in the meantime, we want to serve you. We want to honor you. We want to be prepared as a church for this moment in time. Lord, with the cultural scenarios around us, with some of the outflow of COVID and other cultural forces pulling people apart and away, we want to pull together and in and also love out. So help us to do it. And we just pray even in this moment you'd speak clearly to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So there's always, I'm always intrigued by who's observant and curious and who's like, wait, what are we talking about? How many has it been bothering you, this thing behind me? Yeah, like what's under there? How many are like, eh? You don't have to raise your hand if you're eh. Okay, so I've got a little demonstration here. And the idea is, I don't know if you've ever been unable to conceive of how something could work Therefore, you almost doubt that it really can work. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no way. Here's the idea. There's no way that can work. There's no way that makes sense. So how does it work? It must not be real. That's kind of the idea. So what I have here, some of you will recognize this. Some of you who've been in an office in some previous era will recognize this. What is this beautiful device? When I first started... As a youth intern in 1997, I came into the office, and at some point on a Thursday, I thought there was gunfire in the office. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. You're going to hear it in a minute. I, what, what is that noise? Like, oh, it's Thursday. They're folding the bulletins. This is a folding machine. Has anybody ever operated a folding machine? Seen it? When you fold a piece of paper, you have to bring it up and then down. This thing, I still cannot conceive of how this folds paper. That's kind of bolted in there. But uh, I'll show you from this one. The paper goes in that. Right there, you see that? It goes in that, it hits this stopper, and it comes out folded. I don't know how. When does it do that? All right, Sam. Sam's in electrical school. Will you plug this in for me? All right. We need a professional. All right. Sam's going to plug this in. I think this is unnecessary. There's one right there. Yes. Thank you, Sam. Okay. What a guy. What a guy. Okay. I'll put my mic close so you can hear. Did you see? It comes out. I wish you could see it, but... It just, you put it in. Well, this is in the throwaway pile, so it doesn't work like it once did. But anyways. But what they would do, it's kind of broken. They would feed like 150 of these things. And bang, 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 bang. And you're just like, what, what just happened? I don't know if it'll do it anymore. But they come out folded, and it's, no, oh, I really messed it up. Okay. <laughs> this was the specialty of Roy Ely. If you knew Roy, Roy would doctor this thing along and make it work, and he knew how to 
fold it just right so it didn't do what I just made it do. But I can't, how does it fold it? I have watched. You cannot with your eye see the paper do this. It goes into a little metal slot, it hits bang, and it comes out folded. And I've watched this thing. I've puzzled over this thing. I do not know how to do it. If you put this other piece in, it makes it the trifold, so it'll go bang, bang, and then come out. How does it do it? I, some of you might know, and like, you're, you're an idiot, Ryan. You just do this and this. I don't know. It has baffled me my whole time here. I just cannot conceive of how that thing works. But it does. If I didn't see it, I wouldn't believe you. I'm like, no, no, you can't make a piece of paper go into a slot that big and come out folded. I wouldn't believe you. But because I've seen it, I believe you. And that idea of something that you really can't, like, it doesn't make sense to me. Therefore, it must not be real. I think that is what's happening in Corinth. Right? We're in chapter 15, and there's a group of people in Corinth who say, there is no resurrection from the dead. And I think, this is me read, be, reading between the lines, I think part of the reason they're saying that is because they cannot conceive of how it could be. How could a body go into the ground, begin to decay, begin to rot, and come back out alive? What if they were burned? What if they were dismembered? What if it's been a thousand years? Like, what? how could it possibly be? And because it doesn't make sense, the one solution was, well, then it must not be. Right? Just, how could it possibly fold in there? I don't know. But if, you, if I just told you about it, you'd think, well, he, that doesn't work. So here's where I get this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, Paul says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And he says, you foolish person. <laughs> like, wait, I thought that was... So it makes me think it's not an innocent question, right? For Paul to answer, like, you idiot, why would you ever ask that, right? You foolish person. I think it's because the reason he is so strong in his answer, when they say, well, what kind of body will a resurrected person even have? They're asking it as proof that it can't happen. So that's why he's saying, you foolish person. You think that because you don't understand how a dead body can come back, you don't understand resurrection, therefore it must not really be possible, so you've done the proverbial throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, it doesn't make sense. How could it possibly happen? How could someone who was burned and their ashes poured in a river and the river flow for miles and wash into the ocean, how could God possibly put them back together? He couldn't. Therefore, there must not be resurrection. Therefore, we're going to come up with some other idea. That's kind of the idea, right? That's kind of their thinking that's behind chapter 15. I can't possibly conceive of how paper folds in there. But because I've seen it, I'll just have to accept that it does. But I've not seen someone risen from the dead. I haven't witnessed that yet. None of us have. Maybe you've seen someone come back to life and be revived, you know? That's different than being raised eternal. That hasn't happened except to Jesus. So, because we can't possibly conceive of it, and it doesn't really make sense to me, and our culture is filled with zombie movies, so I don't think that helps anything. There's some that are like, it just can't be, it doesn't make sense, I can't conceive of it, I'm throwing it out. 
And I think that's what's happening in Corinth. It doesn't make sense. And they're using this question, well, how are the dead raised? I mean, what kind of body are they going to have anyways? Is it going to be arms falling off and it's going to be a mess? And this just can't be. And Paul says, you foolish person. Hey, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like. I'm going to tell you that it's going to be the best news you ever heard. So this is what our point is today. The resurrection is why we rejoice. Last week I told you the resurrection is why we have hope. This week we're going to see the resurrection is why we rejoice, why we sing like crazy, why we are anticipating verse 4, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. That's, that's in this passage actually. So um, this is why we rejoice. So let's read it and then uh, we will work through it. We're in verses 35 to the end of the chapter. We've got a big bite to take but we'll go for it here. And I want to read it because it's possible that nothing I say will make any sense at all, but just this one reading of the text, the Holy Spirit will take his word and apply it to you. Boom. That's for you. So it might have nothing to do with anything I'm going to say, but what he's going to say. So let's hear the whole passage. 1 Corinthians 15. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, and another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. And there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. 
And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. So, here we go. The resurrection is why we rejoice. So, the first part is kind of a lot of explaining, so I've got uh, point one with like six subpoints here if you're an outline person. So the first point he's going to make is that the resurrection is a transformed body. The resurrection is a transformed body. Because remember, they're going, how could this be? It can't possibly work. How does the body come back? He's like, well, let me tell you. It's a transformed body. So the first subpoint is he gives us a familiar concept in creation. Because they're like, how could this work? It can't possibly work. This is crazy. And he says, no, it isn't crazy. And you have lots of things that are familiar that point us to this in creation. That's what we see first. So it's a, it's a familiar concept. So we saw that verse 35. Some will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? With what kind of body do they come? What will it be like? Don't you wonder that? What will it be like? And they were asking it as a sort of a this can't possibly be question. So he says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other kind of grain. So he just goes right to agriculture. He's like, you know this. You put a seed in the ground and what comes up is not what it's going to be. That is wheat seeds and wheat plants, right? Wheat seeds and wheat plants. You have a little kernel of wheat, you put it in the ground, and through a process, the seed dies and does whatever it does in the ground, and after a period of months, you have wheat that grows up big. Right? He's, like, you, he's like, this is normal for you. You know this. You put a wheat seed in the ground, you get a wheat plant. You don't put a wheat plant in the ground to get more wheat plants. You put a wheat seed in the ground. So he's saying, what is going to be is not what it starts as. Wheat comes from wheat seed. Apples come from apple seeds. Carrots come from carrot seeds. He's like, this is normal. You start with this one thing, it goes in the ground, it becomes the next thing. So he's saying, he's setting up, what is the resurrection like? It's familiar. One body through a process of transformation, another body. But it's contiguous. It's in line, right? You don't plant an apple seed and hope, I really hope I get pears this year. This is going to be great. I want pears. No, no, you need the pear seed, right? So you plant a human seed in the ground in Christ, saying there's a resurrection body. It's contiguous, but it's something transformed. That was the first thing. It's familiar. Look at verse 38. But God gives it a body as he chose, and to each kind of seed its own body. The seeds are different in shape, they're different in sizes, but they produce the crop they're going to produce. So he's saying, he's just setting the stage. This is how it can work. This is how it's going to be. Don't throw the concept of resurrection out because it doesn't make sense to you. He's saying, in fact, it does make sense to you. You just need to think about it. Seed planted, 
thing grows. A different body here, transformation, different body here. But I want you to hear today over and over, body, 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 not ghost, spirit, body, body. He's going to hammer that. Right? You plant a wheat seed, you don't get a ghost wheat plant. Like You actually want to harvest the thing. Right? It's real. Okay. Verse 39, he switches. We're still in creation. He switches to, to animals and people. For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. He's setting up the idea that different bodies are made differently and for different environments. Right? The human body, we have our own certain features and functions and muscular structure, and we're bipeds, walk on two feet, right? And we have huge cognition, and we have the, the breath of God and the spirit of God, but then birds are all totally different and have hollow bones, and they inhabit the heavens, right? They fly, and so they're made to fly, and they lay eggs, and then you look at all the animals. Like, what, how, what was God? He was like, you know, this has been fun making animals, but we need a huge neck. Give me the giraffe, right? This is just going to be crazy. These things are going to be enormous, right? But then you're going to have the antelope so that the lions have food, and on and on, you, right? They're all different, but they're different bodies that inhabit, and some can handle the heat, and some can handle the cold, and some can, and then you got the fish that inhabit the water, and you got saltwater fish that inhabit the saltwater, and freshwater fish, and they have gills, and different, right? God makes bodies for different environments, and different circumstances, and they're fueled differently, and they work differently. So can God make a body that works on earth, and a body that works in the new heavens and the new earth? Right? That's what he's getting at. Because they're like, it can't work. There's no way you can fold paper in a metal machine from the 50s. It just can't work. And he's like, no, it can. It can. It can work. Just like it can work for a fish to live in the water. And you can't. It can work. God can make different bodies for the differing environments. He can do it. So that's what he's getting at. This is in creation. Seeds. Bodies. Like You can see this. Verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And here he's, not, he's talking now, he's going to look to the, to the heavens or the cosmos. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. He's going to start talking about their glory, their radiance, their splendor. So he says, there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So let's look at these. You've got the sun, gaseous and huge and hot and radiant and brightens up the day. But then you have the moon that brightens the night, but it's smaller and it's different and it works different. And then you have the stars and some are bigger and some are brighter and some are smaller and some are closer and some are farther. They have different levels of brightness or shine or radiance. So he's setting up that there can be differing levels of an earthly glory with a certain amount. And our bodies really are amazing. I never forgot that sitting in a psychology class at Western, and I think the professor was a Christian because he kind of tipped his hand once, which was actually pretty rare. But he said, look at the eye. How in the world does that thing work that you can perceive in your eye? And he just kind of said that once, and I was like, ooh, I heard that. I caught that. So your earthly body has some glory that your eye works, and the image goes into your head and through the other you know, upside down and is flipped over and this eye talks to this half of your body and then there's a 
thin fibrous sheet between the hemispheres of your brain called the corpus callosum and they talk to each other. That's actually pretty amazing. That's glorious. And so, so if that earthly glory is of one kind, he's saying, well, what about the heavenly glory? Just like the moon has one glory, but then the sun has another glory. So he's saying, it can work, right? Just because you can't conceive it. He's like, you can conceive a difference in glory. You can see it in the stars. You can see it in the universe. You can see it in the planets. So he's saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Then he starts to say, okay, the resurrection is a transformed body. Now we start getting good. That all was just to tell him it's possible. Don't throw it out. That's why he's like, you foolish people. Think for a minute. Think what's all around you. Differing bodies, differing types. God can do this. Now he's going to start describing it. It's going to go from a physical to a spiritual body. Right? We've got to keep that body in there. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. It's like the seeds. It's like the glory. It's like the animals. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. One decays and dies. One is immortal and lives forever. He's saying just like the seed starts like this and becomes like this, and just like the moon is not as bright as the sun, the earthly body is going to die. The heavenly body will not die. It is sown in dishonor, right? Dishonored. We have shame. We hide. We cover. It's raised in glory. It's bright. It's shining. It is sown in weakness, I'm at the place where I'm very happy, like if my kids pick up something heavy. I'm like, yeah, you go ahead and carry that. That's fine. Right? I used to want to do it myself and prove it. There's no more proven. Don't even worry about that. I can, I can embrace the weakness. It's coming. Like, yeah, lift that up, boy. I don't even think I mowed the lawn last year, did I? I don't even remember how the thing works. I'm okay with that. Right? It's sown in weakness. We weak and these bodies break and they fall apart, but it's raised in power. The word for power is where we get our word dynamite with ability, explosive ability. It is sown a natural body. I mean, sort of of the earth, of the physical stuff. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is where a lot of times in our mind we think spiritual, we think ghost. We think something you can't see, a spirit. But he's not saying a spirit. He's saying a spiritual body of another sort and another kind of glory. But he says there is a natural body. There's one of the earth. You're in it. There's also a spiritual body made for the spiritual realm of God. So not spirit, spiritual body. It's very important we see that. So then he goes on. The resurrection, it's a transformed body. The next analogy is from Adam's to Christ's. So he's linking us to the prototypes. It says, thus this is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That's a quote from Genesis. God makes, forms him from the dust of the ground, but he's not alive until God breathes in him the breath of life. So he becomes alive with the breath of God. But the last Adam... So you have the prototype son of God, Adam, on earth. But then you have the prototype Jesus, the son of God, called the last Adam or the final Adam, the completed one. He is a life-giving spirit. But again, don't think ghost, (laughs) spiritual being, very much more real than Adam was. So he's saying we're in these lines. 
It is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, or of the earthly. Then the spiritual. So we got the order. You're going to live the physical life, then you're going to live in the spiritual life. For the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. From the ground, we're going back to the ground. The second man is from heaven, right? The eternal Son of God took on flesh. He already existed in eternity. As was the man of dust, so also are those who have the dust. We're born in Adam's race. We will die in Adam's race. We cannot stop it. And is the man of heaven, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. This is where it starts getting real good. If you're, in Adam, you're born into Adam's race, how are you into Jesus' race? You're born again. I thought, I thought my John class people would be with you there. You're born again, right? He says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You're born into Adam's race. You're born again through the spirit into the second Adam. So they says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust and we fall apart and decay and die, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Whoa. Philippians says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious ghostly appearance? No way. Like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's a transformation, which is what Paul's saying. Seeds into the full-grown plant. Your earthly body dies, but it's raised in the full glory of the Son of God. He said, that's what we're hoping for. That's why we're rejoicing. Paul's saying, don't throw it out. Realize he's going to do a transformation. You bore the image of Adam, and in Christ you can bear the image of Christ who was raised in a body. It's one of my favorite parts of the resurrection story. Luke 24 This is right after some travelers on a road to Emmaus. Jesus came and walked with them, and then they disappeared. He disappeared, and they ran all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, We saw him, we saw him, we saw him, he's alive. So it says, as they were talking about these things, these two travelers back with the disciples, Jesus himself stood among them. How'd he get there? I don't know. And he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. They thought it was a ghost. They thought it was a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Contiguous. I'm the one nailed to the cross. Here's the holes. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Not a ghost. But he's he's contiguous with what he was, but yet he just showed up in the room. How'd that happen? Touch me. Feel. It's real. It's flesh. It's raised. It's glorified. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved, like, no, it just can't be. For joy, and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before him. It's like, touchdown. Okay, we know you're alive in Jesus. You just ate. This is victory. He's with a group of men, right? <laughs> Through the stomach, like, oh, it is him. We can eat. Glorified. A spiritual body that can be touched and felt and handled, that can eat a piece of fish. And he says, you're going to be like that. 
but not going to die again. That's where he says you're going to be like him. We are going to go from Adam's race to Christ's race. Your body will be like his body. Not a ghost, not a spirit, a spiritual being, a spiritual body from Adam's to Christ. That's some pretty good news right there, but that's not even the best part. I got to keep going or I won't get there. So that was the explanation when they said, well, how could it be? How could this possibly work? There's no way this happens. What's going on with this? And and so they threw it out. He said, no, 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 don't throw it out. This is how it's going to be. Transformed body, all the things we just saw. And then he says, and this is why we rejoice. This is why it's such good news. This is why you don't throw this out. The resurrection is why we rejoice. So the first thing he tells us, the first sub point is, everyone in Christ gets transformed. So again, you can kind of feel or hear underneath the, yeah, but. Yeah, but what about those people who don't die? What about those people who are still alive when you come back? It's like, oh, let me, let me cover that for you. Because again, they're going, see, it can't work. Because what if they didn't die? Then how do they become the other thing? And so he says, I'll just cover that. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Meaning the flesh and blood we currently have. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Aren't you glad? You're not going to drag this sorry bones in there. He's like, no, no, you don't actually want to take that in there. The one you've got is breaking down. It's perishable. He says, behold, I tell you, mystery, we shall not all sleep. You're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast does an eye twinkle? I don't even know. I don't even really know what an eye twinkle is now that I read that. Pretty fast. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we read that last week in 1 Thessalonians. The dead go first. Whoop. But then it says... We shall be changed. So he's saying, if you're alive when Jesus returns, if you are alive and Jesus comes and the archangel cries and the trumpet blows, dead are going to be raised wherever their parts are and whatever they are. They're transformed. They're changed in a moment to his glorious body. And then you, you don't stay like this. If you didn't die, you get the transformed body in a moment at the call of Jesus. Boom. Done. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Like, I didn't even have to do the dying part. I just got the boom part. But that's the point. Everyone gets transformed. You're not left out. So there's no reason to worry. If you die in Christ, when he comes, that body is raised. If you're alive at that moment, better yet, you're changed in a moment. He changes you because how you are now doesn't go into eternity. You need the transformed, glorified body that Jesus has. So the next sub-point is, this is what we are waiting for. This is what we're waiting for. This is what we're longing for. This is what he's going to tell us. So he says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Like it actually has to change. Then he says, but when this happens, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then, then, you ever do that? You're looking forward to a certain thing, not because of the certain thing, but because a certain thing will bring a new reality. March 21st, then, we're going to see all these faces because we're taking these masks off, right? Then, 
Then we'll have that. It'll be nice. Some of you high schoolers are like, I can't wait till June, whatever the day is, 17th. Then I'm not getting up early for school, right? Then maybe you got a Hawaii vacation planned. Then I'm going to walk on the sandy beach and see the blue sky that I know exists. I just haven't seen it recently. Then I'm going to feel some warm air that I don't know where it is. Then, right, you're not looking to the thing. You're looking to what the thing brings. You're looking to the new reality that it will usher in, right? Then, then at the coming of Jesus, then when the perishable, when it happens, when Jesus comes, when we're all transformed, then what are we looking forward to? Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That is a quote. It's actually two quotes. The first one, the death is swallowed up in victory, is from Isaiah. I'm going to show you this quote from Isaiah. And when you see it, all you're, going to, you're immediately going to go, well, that's the book of Revelation. Well, yes, because John was reading Isaiah. Isaiah 25, 6. Remember, we're thinking about then. Then he says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food and a feast of well-aged wine. If rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. We are feasting. Then we're going to feast in the kingdom of God and not retain the fat. Unless it's good to be fat in the kingdom of God. Either way, I'm going for it. All right, then we're going to feast with food you've never even imagined. Then, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over the nations. Then you're actually going to see him. You can't see him now. We can't see the spiritual realm. We can't see what God is doing. We can't see what God is like. We can't see how it all works. We're separated But then it's gone. The covering's gone. There's God. There's the lamb on the throne right there. Then you're going to see him. He will swallow up death forever. Here's the part. This is in Revelation. And the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces. And the reproach of this people will be taken away from All the earth for the Lord has spoken. Then you won't die anymore. Then you won't say goodbye to your relatives anymore. Then you won't have death. And then the shame and the reproach and the we keep messing up and I keep sinning. Then that's all gone. Then. Then. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. Oh, that he might save us. The Lord, this is the Lord. We have waited for him. Then we're not waiting anymore. We're waiting for the Lord to show up. We're waiting for him to stop the wars. We're waiting for him to stop all sin. We're waiting for him to stop all death. We're waiting for him to stop all the forces of evil that prey on this earth. And then we'll say, it's him. We waited for him. We waited for him. And then he'll be there. Come on. Come on, yeah. Then, then, then. That's what we're waiting for. That's why we rejoice. Then. So when he finally says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. This is the part we've got to hear. The fact that you die isn't actually the most big problem. 
The fact that you die is it's because of sin, and the power of sin is the law. So you die, and then you face the judgment. And you'll be judged according to the law of God, which we will be found lacking if we're not in Christ. Right? The problem isn't just that you die. The problem is if you die in your sin, the power of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. We will be found unrighteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the real problem of death. It's not just that you cease to live on this earth. It's that now you're in eternity before a holy God and you have to pay the price for your sin. Unless you're in Jesus, right? That's why he says there's no more sting of death because Jesus paid the full price on the cross and gives you his full righteousness. So when you die, then you're with the Lord. And then we're looking forward to the resurrection. So that's why he's saying it's rejoicing. Jesus took the sting out of death by dying on our behalf. He's, he fulfilled the law perfectly. He gives us his perfect righteousness so that when you go through death, it's actually good news in Christ. He took the sting out of death. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the victory. That's why the resurrection is why we rejoice in Christ, because then he's coming back, and then we're healed, and then our bodies are new, and then we feast with him, and then we see him, and then we're not ashamed, and then it all is what we're wanting. We've waited for him. We've waited for him. So that's why we rejoice. The final thing here, the resurrection means everything you do in Christ matters. That's the last verse. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. I think of like, a, oh, I don't know if like you're in a pool and you're playing king of the air mattress or on a little rise playing king of the hill. You ever see this? Or if you go to the fair, there's always like one goat on top of the big spool and the other goats are trying to get up there. And he's like, uh-uh, and bats him down. You know what I'm talking about? This is my spot and you're not going to push me off it. This is my air mattress. You're not going to get me off it. Like, I'm on this thing. I'm steadfast. I'm immovable. So he's saying, because of all these promises of Christ, you just lock down. You're not going to let anyone push you off that spot. This is my spot. You're not going to push me off it. Jesus is coming back. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear disease. I don't have to fear wars. It doesn't mean we're foolish and dumb, but we're not we're not going to despair. We're not going to be afraid. We're not going to run and hide. We're not going to give up hope because Jesus is coming back and all the things we're waiting for. So like, I'm on this spot. I'm on the spot of Jesus and his imminent return and his glorification and our glorification with him and the victory over sin and death. You're not going to push me off that spot. Nothing's going to push me off that spot. Nothing's going to be the king of the hill. I'm, I'm locked in on Jesus steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding means a whole lot of it. You're always serving the Lord and working for him, knowing that the labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not wasted because you stand before him and, he, and the people that you've reached out to and the people you've led to Christ and the people you've served and the people you've prayed for are there too. It's not wasted. You can live your whole life. Oh, I remember that it's in... It's in John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. He writes a little note there that someone said, hey, we took early retirement in our 50s so we can move to Florida and we play softball and we collect shells. 
And Piper said, how sad. Look, Lord, here's my shells. And he's like, come on. How about, look, Lord, I prayed for these people. Look, Lord, I parented these children in Jesus' name. Look, Lord, I reached out to all my coworkers. Look, Lord, I shared the gospel with these ones. Look, Lord, we sent money to Timothy Initiative to plant churches in India. People, we don't, that's what we're, it all matters. It all matters for his glory, not your glory. Right, Lord, it all counts. Every act of love, every act of prayer, every act of reaching out is all going to go into eternity. The labor that's not wasted. The littlest thing you do is not wasted. The littlest card you send, the littlest prayer you do, because we're, we're eternal beings and we want eternal beings with us. Everything you do in Christ matters. Matters intensely. There's no more purposeful life you can live than the life serving Jesus. So the resurrection is why we rejoice. It is why we rejoice. It is why we keep going. It is why when it's tragic, we're going to keep worshiping Jesus because then it will all be fixed and then it will be all be solved. So as I wrap up, we got, Pastor Mark's got kind of a, a couple songs that focus us on this and the last ones, we can get a little rowdy with it and I hope we do because we're rejoicing in that um, we're going to be with the Lord. So this is a moment I want you to rejoice like crazy. But I also know it's a moment, if you're not in Jesus, you need to respond. Because everything I just described, you're not in right now. You don't have that hope. And you're not looking forward to that. You're, you're going to enter death on your own. And you're going to find that the sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law, and you will be in trouble. So if there's, a, if there's someone here that needs to respond to Jesus, now is the time to respond to Jesus. So let me pray. And if that's you, I'm going to pray something I want you to consider praying. Go ahead. Come on, worship team. Lord Jesus, we are looking forward to you coming. We are looking forward to it. And in the meantime, let us serve and let us reach out and let us share knowing every little thing matters. That we, all, we want to abound in it. And Lord, I just pray for any in this room right now who have not personally trusted you as Savior. If that's you right now, I want you to consider that Jesus is the Lord of all, that he died on your behalf, that he rose again, and that he reigns on high, and that when you put your faith in him, your sins are forgiven, and you have this hope we just talked about. If that's you, you can just make a quiet prayer right where you are and say, Lord Jesus, I want to worship you as Lord of my life, I want to follow you as Lord of my life. Forgive my sins. I worship you. If that's you, just give me a wave. I just want to see you. I want to acknowledge you so we can walk with you. If anybody just did that, just give me a wave. I'm looking up. Everyone's looking down. I see that. I just want to follow up with you later. If that's you, make sure I see you. Or come see me after. We want to talk about walking with you in this life of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you... You reign, and we want to worship you and rejoice at what we're looking forward to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.